Welcome to the Mastery Over Money podcast. My name is Michael Kim, and I'm a wealth coach, future CPA, and creative at heart. My mission is to help young professionals such as yourself have mastery over your money and start living a life of financial freedom. Not only will I teach you how to save, invest, make, and maximize your money, but I'll also transform the way that you think about it. At the end of the day, money management is a skill. And when you have mastery over it, you can create anything. Are you ready? Awesome. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mastery Over Money podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have a special guest, Barry Choi, who is a personal finance expert and a travel expert. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love traveling. Traveling full-time is going to be one of my goals in 2023. And Barry has a very niche way of talking about personal finances, where he also loves traveling. And he talks about how you can travel on a budget with luxury and getting all of the travel points and travel hacking. So I'm so excited to have him share his expertise with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Barry. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about how you got started in the personal finance field and um, what, (laughs) yeah, how how did you get started in the personal finance field? Oh, there's like so many different angles to talk about. I guess um, the the start would be when I was working full time and I started up my blog, this was like 2014. Um, The reason I started my blog, and this is going to sound really weird, is there was a bunch of layoffs at my old job. Um, and usually when that happens, everyone has to pick up the slack and gets, you know, more work, less pay. But because of my position, I actually had less work to do. Uh, <laughs> I was still like an, an essential employee, uh, but just my duties required less work because they eliminated a few shows that I was responsible for. Uh, and because I had all that extra free time, I was just like, oh, why don't I start a, a blog? And I, and I happened to like personal finance. Um, so I started a blog in 2014. And back then, there wasn't a lot of Canadian personal finance blogs, but there was still a few. And I decided that, hey, I need a, a niche, you know, to separate myself from everyone else. And, and I just started to write about travel because it was a personal interest of mine. And, and, you know, over the last eight years, I've just picked up more tips and I've continued to share them ever since. Amazing. And what was the initial job that you were at? I know you did like some like TV and writing job before. Yeah, I was a TV director in Toronto. So I used to work at a TV news station. Uh, so so before there was, used to be multiple uh, shows in between the newscasts, but they canceled those shows. So I only had to deal with the newscast. So I literally had like a three hour slash four hour dinner break unofficially every single day. Uh, I had to be at the office. You know, I couldn't just get up and leave. Uh, but I did have a lot of downtime. Amazing. And so right now today, what are you doing? Are you doing your blog full time or do you do freelance writing? What, what are you doing full time now? Uh, I, I'm basically a, a full time freelancer. So I do multiple things. Uh, my main source of income is, is writing about personal finance for my own website, for, for brands. I've written for almost every major bank, major pub, uh, personal finance publication in Canada, uh, I've written for all the major newspapers, the Global Mail, Financial Post, Toronto Star, about travel, about personal finance. Um, a lot of brands also hire me to be an ambassador to, to discuss their products, to, to discuss their features. 
Uh, I also do a lot of media consulting for different brands and for people themselves. Um, so yeah, I'm a little bit all over the place. Uh, uh, you know, as a full-time freelancer, you basically need different sources of income. And I'm fortunate that I have that right now. Wow. That's so entrepreneurial. Just being able to use your skills as a writer and being able to have media and brand deals. This is like what entrepreneurship is of just like having multiple sources of income and really being able to, you know, make money, what, which, whatever niche or whatever area that you're in. Well, that's exactly it. You know, as a small business owner, and this applies to anyone, you know, things don't go according to plan. Right. Um, you know, pre COVID I had, I thought I had things all figured out. Oh, you know what? I'm very, happy to be, you know, making the money I, I was making at the time. Uh, I went to Dubai to visit one of my good friends and we were discussing how like there will always be money to be made. There will always be something to chase, there will always be a promotion or whatever. Um, but like, it's kind of meaningless after a little while uh, if, if you've achieved a certain goal. So I came back and I was like, you know what, I'm going to work less. You, you know, I'm happy with where I am. Um, and ironically that when I came back it was February of 2020. And then a month later, the pandemic hit and my income dropped 75% overnight. So I had to uh, <laughs> change course and hustle quite a bit. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm back to having multiple revenue streams. Um, so I'm very fortunate, but you know, it was two years of hard work. Uh, and right now I'm kind of comfortable, but in the back of your head as a freelancer or any small business owner, they're constantly wondering is like, well, what if something happens again? And what happens if I lose my income? What do I got to do next? Uh, so it's, it's a constant struggle. Uh, so the life of a freelancer sounds great, but it, it's there's always some bad aspects to it. Yeah, just like anything, there are definitely many pros and cons. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, right? You, you know, even when you're leaving a job or considering to go freelance or, or whatever, uh, Exactly what you said. The grass is always green on their side, but there's all these other considerations. And, you know, even before I made the leap to full-time freelance, I actually took a part-time job uh, with an online company to just kind of hold me over because I was like, you know what, if I can work 24 hours for this company and just fill the rest with freelance, I'll be good. I'll be good. Because, uh, And I don't think I would have ever left my old full-time job without at least having something part-time uh, in place. And funny enough, you know, I was at that company for less than two months and I realized that I don't actually need this company. Uh, they're actually holding me back because even though I was part-time, uh, they still expected me to get all the work done of, of a full-timer within those part-time hours. Uh, so it actually gave me less time to do what I actually wanted to do. Uh, so, so that's why I, I quickly realized that it was better for me to just like, you know, cut bait and just do everything on my own. And, and uh, I, I don't regret it. There's been challenges, but I don't regret it. Amazing. Yeah. Time is the most important resource and you have to allocate your time to the most important tasks that are going to, in some cases, make you the most money instead of, you know, wasting your time at another, another job or activity that is draining your energy and your time. You, you know what, making the most money is, is always a good thing. You know, one of my models is like, you know, maximum amount of pay, least amount of work. Uh, but at the same time, you, you know, it's, it's not always about the money. Sometimes you got to do things that you enjoy to, to keep things going. Like, like realistically speaking, I've got a few clients that don't pay very well. 
but I enjoy the work I do with them. It's a break from what I normally do. So it's nice to have that quote unquote change of scenery, uh, um, especially during the pandemic when I couldn't travel, <laughs> right? So, so just doing different kind of work or meaningful work for that matter. Um, some work for nonprofits, some work for charities. Is, uh, it's very meaningful. So, so it's not always about the money, uh, but I certainly understand why some people would want to chase the money. Yeah. And one of the things that you really enjoy is traveling and something that you love. And I know a lot of millennials and a lot of like people these days are really wanting to travel more, but they're finding it really difficult to because travel is may not be the cheapest hobby in order to do. So you are the travel expert and the personal finance expert. So how can some millennials and some people travel more? You know, what people got to realize is that you won't necessarily be able to travel every single year. Um, I didn't start traveling until my mid to late 20s, you know, when I had a little bit of savings built up. Uh, um, and part of it was also fear. You know, I had never really gone anywhere on my own beforehand. And then once I actually took that first trip, I realized how much I actually loved it. So, you know, for someone who, who's looking to travel, it, it's really basic personal finance when you think about it. It's, it's as simple as you know, setting aside some money every single month uh, to travel. So you need to build it into your budget. So there's two ways of doing this. You can either, you know, set aside a fixed amount every single month, some arbitrary number. So let's just say $100 a month. After 12 months, you have $1,200, right? Won't get you very far, obviously. You know, you'll still be able to take some short trips, but it won't get you very far. But now let's just say you want to do like a big Europe trip, trip, um, you know, two years down the road, it's going to cost you $6,000, which is a reasonable budget. Uh, but you do basic math, right? Like, oh, that's basically about $500 a month you need to save uh, to, to reach your goal. Is it doable? Possibly. Uh, um, but it'll be very difficult. But for me, you know, when I was, uh, you know, in my early 20s, or sorry, mid to late 20s, early 30s, uh, where I was still increasing my regular income, I told myself that, you know, every dollar I saved at home, I could spend it on travel instead. So instead of going out with coworkers, going to Tim Hortons or, or anything else, that money I saved, it was like, this is going to my travel fund. So when I was finally able to travel, uh, I could spend guilt free. That said, I only learned this lesson after making some mistakes the first couple of times. You know, one of my first trips I took with my cousin, uh, we, we went to Barcelona we were so focused on saving as much money as possible. I was probably like, you know, I feel like I was like 26 or 27 at the time. He was probably 22. We sit at a hostel. Um, we ate ham sandwiches every single day. And we were so happy to say we spent so little money. But at the same time, you know, we didn't enjoy the, the food of Spain. We didn't pay to go into every single attraction. Um, so, yeah, we got to see some great things. But did I get the full experience? Not at all. Uh, and, and this is why I tell people these days, it's like, don't focus on spending as little money as possible. There will always be ways to save at home. Uh, but if you cheap out on travel uh, when you're abroad, you're going to ruin the experience. Uh, of course, you shouldn't go to debt for it. Uh, you should just budget accordingly is all I'm saying. Yeah, I absolutely love Barcelona. I went there in 2019 and the food is like, like so amazing. I went to uh Switzerland, Portugal, and Spain, and by far, the Spanish food was, like, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you know, I, I'm fortunate that I actually had the opportunity to finally revisit Barcelona. And because, you know, I was older, I had more disposable income. Uh, I, I did not hold back. Uh, you know, I was eating out pretty much every single day, ordering whatever. Uh, I went to all the museums, all art galleries, everything I wanted to. Uh, but again, it's, it's one of those things where I'm very fortunate because I had a higher income. Um, I was able to save more for my travels. Uh, this was a partial work trip. So some of my expenses were covered. Uh, um, but again, it, like I said, it really comes down to, to figuring out what your priorities are. are um, because I, I prioritize travel, I cut back at home. Um, so, so I was able to enjoy these experiences. And, and again, you know, I recognize that I'm in a very fortunate situation where I am able to travel on a regular basis. Some of my work allows me to travel. Uh, but for those people who are just listening and just starting out, you know, it takes time. There are a lot of things you can do nearby to get that travel itch, right? Uh, um, and I'm sure we'll discuss more tips uh, very shortly. <laughs> yeah, I really resonate with what you said of just being able to, some, sometimes you have to just make some compromises. Uh, I was talking to one of my students who, who was like getting Uber Eats like almost every single day. And then he saw that if he continued with the spending habit, then he wouldn't be able to travel as much and he wouldn't be able to buy a house in the time frame that he wanted to. And it's just really just putting into perspective, like how important is this, your, your, spend, your current spending right now? And how important is the goals that you want to achieve, whether that's traveling or, or being able to hit your other financial goals. And just sometimes you have to make some compromises and really spend money on the things that bring you happiness and bring you joy and cut back on the things that don't. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, I'll say this, you know, when I started traveling about 15 years ago, there was no Uber Eats. <laughs> you know what I mean? Their food delivery was like just some dude in his car ordering it from the restaurant directly. Um, cell phone plans were significantly cheaper. You, you know, my cell phone plan these days are like double the price of what I paid 15 years ago, seven my internet plan. So what I'm getting as expenses are higher, costs are higher, uh, but wages have not increased that much. So it can be a very difficult position for a lot of younger people uh, or people who, who have a modest career or modest income. Um, so, so, but the old saying of, you know, every dollar counts, every penny counts, it really does. Um, and again, it's, it's not about being cheap or being frugal. It's just about being smart with your money. You know, focus on the things that matter more to you. Uh, and I, that was a position that I always held dearly. And, and I followed it and, and there was so many other opportunities. And once you, you realize that you like to travel, you're quickly going to look for ways to save money uh, to travel for cheap. And there are so many ways to do that. So, so that's part of the game also, figuring out where you can save, uh, where you can cut back and when you should spend. Yeah. So what are these secret ways of saving money? On your blog on Money We Have, that's the name, right? Yes. Money yeah. we have. You talk all about how to travel hack and how to, you know, make take advantage of all of these um, methods in order to save more money when traveling. So what is travel hacking? And how does one person, how does a, how does someone actually do this? Well, even before we get to travel hacking, because that's something that not everyone wants to do, you know, think about the basic ways to, to save on travel. Uh, um, you, you know, a lot of people get focused on airfare because it's typically your most expensive cost when traveling, which is certainly true, right? Uh, 
Um, but, you know, it doesn't make sense to obsess, you know, constantly search for 10 hours to save $100 on your airfare. Um, because, you know, you've just valued your, your time at $10 an hour. Like, make sure that you could do something to make more money or save money in that same 10 hours, right? Um, but, you, you know, these days you can set up price alerts with Google and Kayak where it'll basically alert you if the price drops. Because in reality these days, the airfare is going to be the same no matter which website you use, right? The airlines price it dynamically. So if, if you have an alert that's constantly telling you when the prices drops, then you just buy it and you just be happy with it, right? Um, and even like the days you fly out, you know, flying out from a Friday to Monday typically costs more than Tuesday to Thursday. You know, flying out in the mid-afternoon, late morning is usually cheaper than early morning. Uh, so about being flexible, you know, you talked about visiting Portugal, Spain, and Switzerland. Well, you know, I'm certain, I am 100% sure that you quickly found that Portugal was significantly cheaper than Switzerland, uh, right? Whereas, you know, far. you can get a full, yeah, exactly. You can get a meal in Portugal for like $10 Canadian and a pizza slice in Switzerland will cost you 15 do you know what I mean? So, so these are not even exaggerations. So, so what I'm trying to get at to the listeners, there are always ways to save uh, on travel. You know, even things such as purchasing a museum pass, staying a little bit further out and taking public transportation. You know, only into recently, no, actually not even into recently, I still take public transportation uh, all the time when I travel. There's only been one trip I can think of in recent history where I didn't take uh, public transportation. Uh, and that's just because the public transportation sucks and it would take forever. Uh, and in case anyone's wondering, it was Dubai. Uh, um, you know, it's weird, this is this futuristic city and they've got this nice fancy metro, but it only goes in a straight line really. Uh, and it would take me like an hour and a half to get to the beach when I could take 10 minutes in Uber. So like, you know, for me, my, it was a time value thing. It's like, you know what, take my money Uber. I don't wanna wait. Um, so, you know, I, I went a little bit off topic there, but. So I, I just really want to make the point that you don't need to travel hack to begin with. Uh, there are just so many simple ways to save uh, for any regular person to take advantage of. Uh, uh, so that's where I always encourage people to look first. Yes, I really, I really resonate with that as well, because when I travel somewhere, I really like plan everything out. I'm like the crazy planner person who has like everything in a spreadsheet and I like time block everything. Then I also have a budget for like the day. And what this actually does isn't like, it isn't like I have to stick to it, like, you know, as a Bible, but like, I, it's just like as a guideline and it helps <laughs> to make sure that I'm doing, I'm not like, you know, splurging or maybe I'll splurge one night, but then that might mean the second day I don't splurge as much. And I try to stay under my budget. And it's just a way that allows me more flexibility and peace of mind when I'm traveling, because the last thing that you want to do is when you're traveling and be like, oh my God, I'm so scared. And uh, <laughs> I'm going into credit card debt, but I also have to enjoy this trip because, you know, I, I'm spending a lot of money on it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you, you know, I think you hit a few important points that, you know, having a rough guideline so you know what you want to see is always a good idea. But at the same time, you don't want to have this massive checklist where you're constantly just checking things off the, uh, the list, the boxes to say that you've done it uh, because then you're not really enjoying yourself. But, you, you know, you're right. When you're traveling, you want to be able to spend comfortably, not penny pinching every single thing. Um, and again, you don't also want to go into debt. Uh, when you go back, you, you know, there's a few coworkers I used to work with and they used to tell me all the time that's like, oh, uh, I'm going to take this vacation on, on credit because I deserve it. Um, like, listen, I don't like to judge people on their spending habits, 
But to me, taking a vacation on your credit card, it's like literally the worst thing you can do. Right? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, um, you know, as finance experts, we don't like to judge, but that is a bad thing to do. I would never <laughs> recommend it. Uh, I think it's crazy. Stop doing it, people. <laughs> yes. And what, like a way to avoid going into debt for your travel excursions is exactly what you said before as having a sync fund, which is an account where you allocate, let's say, $200 into this account specifically for travel. And this is exactly what I do and how I've been able to afford my vacations. I allocate around $200 to $300 every single month so that by the time it reaches, let's say, $2,000 or $3,000, then that's enough money to go on a trip without going into credit card debt. Rather than like, yeah. you know, deciding, oh, I want to go tomorrow and then have to having to splurge 5000 and rack up a bunch of credit <laughs> card debt. That's exactly it. You know, just having that plan and having those guys like you, you're talking about being a, a planner. And, and to me, there's actually a really huge advantage about over planning uh, to a certain extent. Because if you're planning a lot and doing your research well in advance, you will know exactly how much things cost you. Uh, you, you know, when I went to Japan, uh, this is like, six, seven years ago, I mapped out everything. I knew all my admission costs. I had a rough idea of food. I researched all the restaurants I was going to. Sounds pretty like overboard, but like, I'm not even kidding you. Like my, my estimated spending was within $200 of what I actually did. Uh, you know, I'm kind of proud of that. And, and I didn't cheap out on anything. It's kind of like what you were saying earlier. It's like, you know, there'll be times where I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to splurge on this meal and I'll just cut back tomorrow. Like uh, I'll get a bento box today, tomorrow I'm going to get fresh sushi, whatever. Right. Um, but there, the other advantage is actually sometimes you find out that things are a lot cheaper than you would have expected. Um, if you're planning multiple trips at once, you know, one, one good example is I like to tell people is, you know, when my wife and I first got married, one destination, we were like 99% planned. Um, we were going to go to Prague, uh, Budapest, and Vienna. Uh, so, you know, kind of middle Europe. And we had it all mapped out, train tickets, figured out everything. But I still always like to look up other destinations just in case to see what else we had. So I just, I don't even remember why, but I casually started to look up the Middle East. And I, I was looking at Jordan and Egypt. Uh, you know, flights kind of aligned. And then I went to my wife and I'm like, listen, we can stick to our original Europe plan uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for about the same price, we can go to Egypt and Jordan. Uh, and she was like, how's that possible? I'm like, well, our flights are more expensive, but the ground costs are significantly lower. So it actually makes up for everything. Uh, and, and, you know, admittedly at the time, it was shortly after the Egyptian uprising. So there was a lack of tourists going to Egypt. So it was actually an, an opportunity because costs for tourists were, had dropped significantly. Um, so, so my wife and I actually, we decided to go to the Middle East. And, and honestly, Jordan is still one of the best countries I've ever visited. Um, I'm so glad I went. Uh, I do not regret that decision. So, so again, just doing some of this research will bring you to things that you never would have expected in life. Yeah, and I will say that being able to plan and learn how to figure out what's in your budget and how to spend guilt-free and how to save money is all kind of just skills. I think a lot of people, they see themselves as like, oh, I'm not a saver and I'm just a spender. But in reality, personal finance, whether it comes to investing, saving money, making money even, these are all just skills that you can learn. And if you, let's say, have not been great at budgeting or saving money, you could always learn how to do that. 
if you spend some time and energy to research and uh, time and effort into learn, learning how to do it. You know, that's 100% true. It's, it's like all of us who work in this space, it's not like we're just naturally good with money. You know, maybe some of us were, maybe some of us were fortunate that we've had uh, great role models, great parents who taught, taught us some lessons. Like, like, listen, you know, sure, my mom taught me to spend less than I make. Uh, uh, to, to try to get by on a single income just in case, and, you know, my parents are immigrants, but, you know, ask my mom anything about investing and she's got nothing for you, right? Uh, you know, if I ask my mom what a management expense ratio is, her eyes would glaze over. Uh, so a lot of these things can be learned. You're right. So, so even like, you know, with travel hacking, you know, I was able to put my parents in business class to, to Hong Kong, uh, and they were in shock. They, they thought I spent thousands of dollars. I, no, I'm like, I spent $100 on taxes. That was it. And they were in shock. But it's kind of like what you're saying. You can learn to save. You can learn to, to, to spend. Uh, you know, obviously, learn to save is, is difficult if you're on a lower income. I want to acknowledge that. You know, I don't want us to, to feel like we're elitists here or anything like that. Um, but you can learn to travel hack. You can learn to travel for less. Uh, so there are certain things you can learn to do for sure. Okay, and you mentioned that you're able to afford these very luxurious experiences for your parents through travel hacking. I think there's a lot of misconceptions or confusion about what is travel hacking. So do you mind just <laughs> explaining about what it is and um, how can someone do this? So travel hacking in the most basic form is where you apply for travel credit cards uh, earn the sign-up bonus of points or cash or whatever uh, after meeting the minimum spend requirement and then canceling that card before the first year anniversary is up and just repeating it over and over and over again with as many credit cards as you can reasonably use uh, to quickly accumulate these points and to quickly spend those points so you're constantly uh, traveling for free. But you know, in theory, it sounds very easy, but it does require some planning. Uh, and there are some consequences if you do not do it properly. Uh, so, so travel hacking has allowed me to travel to Dubai in first class. Uh, just recently, um, I flew to London in business class. Uh, I just booked a trip to, to California in business class. All my hotels are paid on points. Uh, so so it's, it is quite the game if you get into it. And how did you learn about travel hacking and how did you first get started with it? You know, travel hacking is actually a very simple thing for a lot of people. You think about any credit card out there, right? At any given time, there's a welcome offer, right? So it's, it's kind of like, oh, you know, TD offered me, you know, when I first signed up for TD Bank, it was like, oh, you get like, you know, 50,000 points or, or whatever, right? Uh, when you sign up for this credit card. This is when like my wife and I were like setting up our joint accounts. So like, oh, you set up this account, you get a free premium credit card. After you spend a thousand dollars, you get fifty thousand points or whatever. And I think at the time, you know, that was worth five hundred dollars in travel. It's like, wait a minute, so I just signed up for this card and I get five hundred dollars in travel. It's not costing me anything. Like, that's an obvious no-brainer, right? Um, and then sometimes some other things comes up. You, you know, there's another credit card. This is again 15, 20 years ago. It was like uh, back when Starwood was still a property. Uh, they before they were owned by Marriott. Like, you know, you signed up for the credit card. And they gave you like 40,000 points or something like that. And then like, you know, you, you do some quick basic math. You're like, wait a minute. That's like four free nights at this hotel. That's like 800 to $1,000 I'm saving. So I'm just going to sign up for it. Uh, why not? Um, and then eventually you, you, you get a little bit more aggressive with it. You're like, 
how many credit cards should I be signing up for? Uh, and then it's always like, just one more, just one more, and just one more. Uh, and it's never just one more, right? Uh, and then you quickly become friends with other people who are into this game. And you discuss it, and it just encourages you to, to do the game more. And now these days, there are so many websites that discuss this strategy, including my own. Uh, it's, it's become common. Uh, so if, if you're comfortable with certain things, then you can definitely take advantage of it. So, so, you know, I'm sure people are wondering, well, how many credit cards should you apply for? Or how many should you get? You know, to give you an example, I generally speak, uh, sign up for six to 12 credit cards a year. And that's on like a slow year, do you know what I mean? Uh, so, so you, you know, you think about the bonuses you're getting for six to 12 cards. Uh, like I said, it's enough to fund my travels to Europe and the US these days. So I certainly find it worth it. Uh, but, you know, if you want to talk about the downsides, we can do that too. Yeah, so before we talk about like some of the risks of travel hacking, for the cards that you sign up for, are they like, different cards each time or like for example can you do an american express one year and then the year after do another american express card does it work like that you basically need to read the terms and conditions of every single card that you're applying for certain cards or certain uh, networks like american express Scotiabank, bank whoever will say you're only entitled to the sign up bonus once every 12 months once per lifetime blah 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 right so if you read the terms and conditions you'll know exactly what you're entitled to Right. Um, you know, for example, one of TD's cards specifically says every 12 months. Another card specifically says every six months. So, yeah, that means you could technically apply for the credit card, hold it for 11 months, uh, cancel it, wait one month, and reapply for the card. You would technically qualify for the sign up bonus again. Uh, so, it really just comes down to terms and conditions. That said, these days, you know, credit card providers are smart, they know people are doing this. Uh, they know it's costing them money. So even though it may be in their terms and conditions, if they notice that you are constantly applying for credit cards, getting the bonuses and then canceling them, they're well within their rights to ban you uh, or, or, or to close your accounts, not award you the bonus points. Uh, and I don't have a problem with that because you know what, they're looking out for their business and you can try to argue it as much as you want. But in the end, it's up to the credit card provider to decide if you're eligible for that bonus or not. Mm, I see. Well, I've actually never tried doing credit card hacking before. For me, I just like to keep things like very, very simple with my credit cards. I have like one or two credit cards that I use in order to, you know, pay for like the regular expenses. But, you know, I'm going to do some research on this credit card hacking strategy. You know, the thing is, you're like like a lot of other people and there's absolutely nothing wrong with holding on to one or two credit cards because you know I'll, this actually segues into the cons um, if you're going to apply for a lot of credit cards it requires you to spend a certain amount of dollars to get the bonus you know sometimes it's spent any amount but if you want the very generous bonuses you might have to spend six thousand to ten thousand dollars within the first three months so unless you've got major expenses already coming up and you know you can you're gonna naturally spend that amount anyways. You shouldn't be doing these signups all the time because what will happen is some people who get into the game, they get too excited. They'll sign up for three credit cards because they want all the bonuses. And then when you actually look at the math, oh, I signed up for three credit cards, but I have to spend $15,000 in three months. Well, if you're not doing that naturally, it's useless to you because you're gonna be buying things that you wouldn't normally do. You'd be overspending, spending more than you would ever need or looking for ways to meet that minimum requirement just to like get your bonus points. So in the end, is it worth it? 
it depends on the person, you, you know, and there will be other people who will say, oh, you know, points cards encourage you to spend more cash back is so simple. Listen, you're not wrong. I don't disagree with you there, but I will take my business class flights over cash back any day. Yeah. And I think it really goes to the point that like personal finance is personal. Like if you're already struggling to save money and you already have like trouble with paying off your credit card debt, then maybe travel hacking won't be the best strategy for you to choose because it add, adds more complexity into your financial situation and there's more things to manage and think about. So maybe if you are just learning about personal finance and you're learning how to save and spend your money, maybe keep it simple. And if you can keep it simple and things are really great, then you can start to add complexity and add different strategies into your personal finance um, management. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, travel hacking, credit card hacking. You know, you talked about liking your things simple. Well, and we're talking about saving money and travel. Just having a single travel rewards credit card will help you save money on travel eventually. You don't need to sign up for multiple cards, right? Just have that one credit card, charge your purchases to it, pay your bills on time in full, and you'll slowly uh, accumulate points, travel rewards, that which you can then use to offset your travel costs later. Uh, so, so again, that's just one of those simple things that we forgot to discuss earlier, how you can save on travel. You know, just having a single travel rewards credit card, which also gives you travel insurance. You know, that travel insurance, if you were to buy it separately, uh, could cost you $300 a year. It depends on the card, obviously. Some credit cards give you free check bags. If you were to pay for a check bag, it's $30 to $50 each way. Uh, so again, just having a travel rewards credit card can save you money on traveling. And a lot of people don't even realize it. Hmm. I, I honestly don't really have a travel credit card either. So maybe I will at least have one. <laughs> You know, if you like to travel, like sometimes just having a travel rewards credit card, especially if you've got certain benefits, can make it worthwhile. Like, like I was saying, if you were to buy a travel insurance uh, policy, it's about $300 a year, multi-trip, right? But a lot of the travel credit cards that have an annual fee of about $120, $150, give you travel insurance fully covered as long as you pay for your flights and hotels with that card. Well, if the annual fee is only $120 to $150 and the travel insurance included is worth $300, you're automatically making your money back. And a lot of people forget about that. They only see the annual fee and they say, it's not worth it. But again, if you're paying for other things uh, besides travel insurance, such as check luggage, um, it's, it, you, you'll quickly realize that paying the annual fee for certain cards are worth it, assuming you, you are going to use those benefits anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really just, I guess, doing a cost benefit analysis. Like how much does it cost? And like, what are the benefits that you get from you know, purchasing or getting that credit card? And is it actually worth your time? I'm curious, when you do your credit card research, do you have like a whole spreadsheet? Or like, how do you do it? Do you just do like mental math? What's your process for like researching credit cards that you either want to get or even through travel hacking? Well, you know, as an expert, I'm just literally up to date on all these cards because uh, <laughs> I write about them. Um, but for an average consumer or anyone new to this that's listening, I would say like, you know, all you really got to do is follow the websites, uh, the blogs where people talk about credit cards. The one problem with, with these comparison sites is they tend to favor credit card companies that uh, have an affiliate with them. But more of the personal bloggers that talk about credit cards they tell you when it's a good offer, right? You know, when I see a really good offer, 
I'll tweet it. I'll be like, hey, this is actually a really, really good offer. Here's why X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, but for a regular consumer, it, it really comes down to knowing what the value of those points. So, so, you know, what I tell people is, you know, I personally value one arrow plant point at two cents each, right? So, you know, if you get a sign up offer uh, of arrow plant points that's worth 50,000 points, that to me actually has a thousand dollar value. Uh, and a lot of people don't understand that math, but, you, you know, it's a bit subjective at times, uh, which I certainly understand. But to me, it's based on searching hundreds and hundreds of flights, knowing what the average value is. So if I find a flight that's worth less than two cents per point when redeem my points, I don't redeem it. Um, so obviously in my case, we talked about this earlier, business class flights are very, very valuable. Uh, so if you save your points and save it for that, then you can get a lot of value out of it. Um, so anyone who's thinking about points, it's not necessarily just a big number. You need to figure out how much your points are worth from each individual program because they're not all worth the same thing. I see. So. What are some credit cards that you would recommend? Like on, on the top of your head, what are maybe some of the top ones that you can think of either for travel hacking or just to travel more? Let's just, you like know, hundred percent, it really comes down to what your goals are, right? So, so in the travel hacking game, you can't just apply for credit cards randomly. Uh, you need to have a destination in mind and work backwards. So, you know, for example, let's just say um, you want to fly round trip to Los Angeles uh, yourself you know, on average, it should cost you about 25,000 to 50,000 points on aeroplane. So that means you just need to sign up for any aeroplane credit card that gives you around that many points, right? Um, but if you're looking for the dream destinations, you want to fly to the Maldives, uh, stay at the fancy hotels, then you're going to need to accumulate a lot of points quickly. So, you know, off the top of my head, generally speaking, I prefer the American Express Platinum card. They usually have a very generous bonus, one of the highest amounts. Of course, you have to spend a lot to get it, right? But again, it depends on your goals. If you fly Air Canada, you know, two or three times a year within Canada just to visit family um, and you're paying for checked luggage every single time, it makes sense to get like the TD Aeroplane Visa Infinite card because it includes free checked bags. You'll make that money back within like two trips, right? Uh, so so it, again, it really depends on, on your goals. You, you know, if you want lounge access, I like the Scotiabank Passport Visa Infinite card uh, because it gives you six free passes. Uh, there's there's so many different things and it really comes down to, to what your travel goals are and how you like to travel. You are definitely the travel personal finance expert. I was just like mind blown just now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when it comes to travel hacking, we did talk about some of the risks. So there's like complexity of it increasing the complexity of being able to manage your personal finances and what are some other maybe downsides of travel hacking you know we talked about this a little bit earlier i would say the biggest downside is it does encourage you to spend more right because you're constantly having this to meet that minimum spend requirement whenever you shop you're thinking in points like you know i admit it it's like oh i, I should put this on credit it'll get me x amount of points it's actually worth this amount now like it's it's a bit silly Right. Uh, and on top of that, you know, every single time you apply for a new credit card, um, your credit score takes a hit of like five to 10 points. So if you're, if you're applying for multiple credit cards, uh, you could see a decrease in your credit score quite rapidly. Now, I personally don't care about it because, like, realistically speaking, if your credit score is good to excellent, you know, a little drop's not going to make a huge difference. However, 
if you're applying for a mortgage in the near future, I would not be applying for four to six credit cards anytime soon. It does not look good to credit bureaus, to the lenders. They want to know why you're applying for all these credit cards and you're getting a mortgage at the same time. Uh, so those are the biggest downsides, I, I would say. And on top of that, you know, another downside people don't talk about often is the fact that points, even though they have a, uh, a value and they're like a currency, uh, they could change at any given time. You know, loyalty program can change the value of their points and all of a sudden it's worth less. So unless you're using these points as quickly as you can earn them, uh, it, may not ask, not, it may not actually benefit you that much. Mm, I see. Yeah, it's, it's an important thing that your credit card or your credit score might actually decrease when you apply for a credit card. I think a lot of people may, may or may not know that. Um, so yeah, it, it really depends on your specific financial situation as to whether you should implement the strategy or not. But even if you, even if travel hacking isn't necessarily the right strategy for you, there are many amazing tips that we talked about on how you can travel more and on a budget as well. That's right. And keep in mind with travel hacking, it's like, you don't need to apply for the six to 12 cards a year. If you applied for just one credit card a year. Uh, where your credit score only takes a hit of 5%, like it literally will not make a difference. So so yeah, it might take you longer to get free travel, but one new credit card a year uh, is what I actually tell a lot of people who are lazy because it requires very minimal management. You can easily meet that minimum spend requirement, especially if you time the applications for when you got major expenses coming up, such as house insurance and car insurance, which is usually like $1,000 anyways, right? Um, so, so it can be done. And if you don't want to apply for credit cards because, you know, you're worried about your credit score or how much you spend, uh, you can use all the tips that we discussed earlier. Uh, and those are just a few. You know, there are so many other ones. Yes. What other, what other uh, strategies would you say can people use in order to travel on a budget and be able to travel more? You know, one of the simple things, things that we didn't really discuss is that you think about your accommodations. Uh, yeah, obviously, if you're looking for a five-star hotel in a prime location, it's going to cost you significantly more. Uh, but there's a lot of budget hotels and accommodations out there, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're sacrificing quality. Sure, you might be further away from the prime tourist attractions that you would like. Maybe you're not getting the high-end amenities. Uh, but it can, you know, if you're saving $100 a night, that money can go quite a long way, especially in your vacation. You know, in my early days uh, traveling, I would always look for accommodations that were in the business areas that were close to transit uh, because they appeal to business travelers. Hotels typically were a little bit cheaper because they weren't as fancy and it would only take me 20 to 30 minutes to get to the core areas. Uh, these days, you know, I like to stay a little bit close, but even with a daughter now, I actually look for the family-friendly hotels because, again, they're a little bit further out, but the rooms are typically bigger. Uh, I'm not going to get fancy room service or things like that, but sometimes I'll get a free continental breakfast, and that's good enough for me. Uh, so, so those are some simple things or, or things we quickly discuss, such as buying a museum pass, uh, learning how to use local transportation before you go so you won't get lost. And these days, you know, with Google Maps and if you've got a data phone, it's very difficult to get lost. You know, literally Google Maps will tell you what bus to get on. So, so you can plan accordingly. Um, you know, it definitely sure beats the first time I traveled and then I had a lonely planet guide and I was constantly looking for, for like street signs on a physical map, trying to navigate my way around. Uh, these days, you know, splurge on the data when you're abroad because it'll save you so much time and money. Yes. When it comes to like traveling and being traveling on a budget, what I've also 
also often found is that just asking like the locals about like what you should do and like what's the best way of traveling I remember when I went to Switzerland one of my best friends actually lives there so I just asked her like oh like how how do you guys travel around especially like in between cities and she recommended this like pass that was a hundred bucks which is cheap for Switzerland standards it was a hundred bucks a day but you could like travel like to any city within like 24 hours um and it was like it saved me so much money and I was able to travel so much rather than like having to buy the ticket the day of when I was there that's exactly it you know uh, even like a lot of your transportation methods the earlier you book the more money you save right uh, um you know I remember that also even with with Japan um I quickly a lot of people will quickly realize that it's cheaper to buy a pass um if you're going to be traveling a lot but if you're not traveling a lot and not traveling a certain distance, it's cheaper to buy point-to-point tickets. So again, it comes down to what we were discussing earlier. Sometimes it requires a little bit of research. Sometimes it requires you to talk to locals. And some people are wondering, well, it's like, what if I, I can't talk to locals? I'm actually there. Well, you know, websites such as TripAdvisor allows you to ask questions for, to locals for people. Uh, it's, it's not that difficult these days. There's so many resources available online that you can basically plan your entire trip without ever leaving your bedroom. Yes, the internet is an amazing place. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. So Barry, what travel plans and what excursions do you have for planned in the future? Uh, my next trip is California, like I was saying business class, and I'm actually heading back to Dubai uh, in October. So those are my next two confirmed trips. Um, there might be a few others, but you know, nothing set in stone quite yet. Hmm, you're going to Dubai a lot. Is this like a business thing, like a like a brand deal or something like that uh this one is a deal with emirates so i'm working with them and just by coincidence one of my best friends lives there it's the only reason i i'm I'm doing the work amazing yeah one of my uh one of my really good friends just went to dubai and it was for a wedding and it was like it was like a three four day wedding and it was like he was just blown away by how beautiful um the city and the country was it's definitely a pretty place there's no doubt about that (laughs) Okay, well, Barry, do you have any last words or last pieces of advice you'd like to give to our listeners today? You know, it's, I, it's just what we we're talking about earlier. If travel is important to you and if travel is something you would like to do, it comes down to budgeting, right? If you can set aside some money, cut some expenses at home and, and allocate those dollars towards your travel fund, it can go a long way. Just don't expect it to happen overnight. Amazing. And I know on your blog on money, we have, you have so many useful tips on how to travel on a budget, how to do travel hacking, some of the top credit cards. So if any of you want to learn more about Barry, feel free to check out the website and the blog moneywehave.com. Thank you so much, Barry, for coming on. And this was an amazing conversation. Thank you. No problem. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening to the Mastery Over Money podcast. If you found any value with this episode, share this episode with a friend who needs to hear this message. Also, if you want to share your appreciation for this podcast, feel free to give it a review on Apple Podcasts as this helps me reach and help more young professionals such as yourself. That's it for today and I'll chat with you next week.